Welcome to the L&D Career Club podcast, where purpose-driven people come to start and grow the L&D career of their dreams. I'm Sarah Canistra, an L&D career, business, and executive coach, and I'm here to take you on a weekly journey to create a seamless, energizing, and engaging L&D career blueprint so you can live a life of fulfillment, inspiration, and freedom. If you're here to find your first L&D role, move up the L&D ladder, or land that high-level L&D role you've been dreaming of, welcome to the club. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the L&D Career Club podcast. So happy that you're here, and I'm so excited uh, for our guest today. I have Ross Stevenson on the pod. You all, if you don't know him already, if you know him already, you love him. Um, And if you don't know him, you're going to love him. So super excited about that. A couple of really fun announcements. I've been sitting on this for like a hot minute because there's just been so much going on. Um, But I have two new, well, two upgrades and updates to let you in on. First is that I have been working over the last couple months to update the Nail Your Niche series uh, and course, and it is updated. It is fresh. It is, ooh, it is so good. New worksheets, new videos. Uh, if you are really trying to figure out like what is your L&D niche? What is, this, what is the space for you in L&D? What is the right role at the right company look like for you specifically? This course walks you through that step by step. It is my number one selling course. It is the number one thing that like changes people's lives when it comes to finding their career. Um, we're not saving lives over here, but we're changing them uh, from an L&D perspective. And it, it's just really, really helpful if you are stuck, if you're trying to figure out what's next for you, if you're in a transition, if you're thinking of being in a career transition, uh, it is the ultimate course to start with to really get your North Star. Um, so that is completely upgraded. It is available. Um, if you go to theovernighttrainer.com slash programs, you can find out more information about that. And then I'm also really excited because um, inside of my group coaching programs, there's been a lot of talk around cover letters. And I've been sitting on this format and testing it out with one-on-one clients. And I finally came to this like beautiful, juicy, easy, I'm going to say, way of creating a cover letter. And one of the things, if you've been in my world before, um, if not, hi, welcome. Uh, One of the things I talk about is A, how important it is to find your niche. And then B, what I focus on is how do we craft your marketing documents around your niche? And I've done a lot of work around helping people create their niche aligned resume, which is a resume that basically you don't have to update every single time you're applying for a role because it's already just aligned to who you are and what you bring to the table. But the cover letter format I was teaching wasn't quite in alignment with that. And so I've been playing and testing and trying different things with different one-on-one clients. um, And I finally, finally, finally kind of cracked the code on how to give you all a formula and a framework and a, you know, a, a, a method, but allow you a lot of freedom and flexibility inside of it. So you know, for me, every time I'm putting something out there, it's never something that, yes, you can follow it to a T, but you're always going to put your own spin on it. So cover letter magic is now included inside of the L&D resume reprogram course. So 
if which is have also been redesigned. So lots of lots of really fun things happening going on right now. So if you are either looking to find your niche or craft a resume and a, a aligned cover letter, um, you have two options. One is the Nail Your Niche course that stands alone. Um, the other is the L&D Resume Reprogram course, which includes Nail Your Niche. And this week only, so if you're listening to this on Tuesday, the 28th of March when it comes out, which, oh my goodness, I cannot believe it is the 28th of March, um, wild, <laughs> uh, until Friday of this week, you can get either of those courses for 20% off using the code UPGRADE20 at checkout. So go to the overnighttrainer.com slash programs. You can get all the details there. Again, at checkout, use UPGRADE20. If you already have both of those courses, Nail Your Niche or the Resume Reprogram, you already have access to the updates. So those are free anytime, uh, any program update. Uh, if you have already purchased that program, you get the update for free. So very excited about that. Uh, let me know if you have any questions. Again, completely redone, nail your niche. It's been in the works, um, just streamlining the process, making it easier for you, better worksheets, better handouts, um, and quicker. It's a quicker way too. So I uh, think you're really going to enjoy that. And then of course, cover letter magic inside of the L&D resume reprogram is fire. And I cannot wait for you all to get your hands on them. I literally had a um, uh, I rolled this out to the uh, to my group coaching clients, and I literally had someone write to me today, and I really appreciated this. She said, I am in love with the new cover letter format. It feels much more organic to your whole program and less work to do for each individual cover letter after the template. Thank you, thank you, thank you. So uh, yeah, my goal is to help you all save time and be more intentional and aligned. It's a really beautiful thing. All right, let's get on to today's episode. Like I said, I have the one, the only, the amazing Ross Stevenson on the pod today. Ross is a learning and performance strategist with world-leading brands in the technology space. He spent the best part of the last two decades focusing on building high-performing L&D functions, helping people design rewarding careers, developing future-fit learning and performance strategies, and supporting L&D teams with modern skill-building strategies. Today, we're gonna talk all about how Ross moved up in his L&D career, how he went from starting in HR to moving into the tech and digital side of learning all the way into leading the L&D function. So really excited for you to hear from Ross and I'll catch you back here next week. Ross Stevenson, welcome to the podcast. How are you today? Thank you. I am very good. It's actually very cold where I am and I can see it's very sunny where you are at yes. the moment in time. So I'm very jealous, but I, yes, I'm very well. Thank been- you. Yeah, we've been having lots of up and down weather uh, here in mm. Texas. So mm. uh, you are catching me on a sunny day. It is going to be I think, like 85 degrees Fahrenheit here. So uh, yeah, but I think tomorrow is going to be 60. So it just oh. it's going. <laughs> um, but y'all, we have to, I have to, I have to call myself out. I have rescheduled mm. Ross like three times and he's still here gracing us with his presence. So I just have to thank you um, for bearing with me with all of my, my schedule changes, but I'm super excited. We've been connected on LinkedIn in for a while, you know, commenting on each other's posts, having conversations. And uh, I just knew that this community would be so, so, so grateful to have you um, come and just share, share your wisdom with us and we can maybe steal your thoughts. (laughs) 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 I wish I got paid every time someone said that, honestly, because it adds up. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, and I will take my royalty payment. Thank you. Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, but I want to talk about your your career first. So mm. 
you've had a really interesting career. You started out mm -hmm. in HR, you moved over to the tech side and the digital yeah. learning side of things, um, and then into leading the learning function uh, and yeah. into learning strategy. And if that wasn't mm -hmm. enough, you have started what I like I just said, steal your steal these thoughts, mm. uh, which is a, a place for modern L and D pros to really come and mm. get tools, tactics, frameworks, all those fun things uh, to make a big impact in this digital world that we're in. So, would love yeah. for you to walk us through your career, through your sure. experiences, and specifically what led you from one to the other. Yeah, I mean they're very good questions, and I think I have to ask myself those questions as we go through this. It's energy. like a, it's like a, almost like a therapy session. It's like now it I have like, to reflect back. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if you have it in America, but we used to have this very popular show in the UK called This Is My Life, where they used to get out this gigantic book and they, they kind of went through people's lives and like reciting what they did and how they got there. And it feels very much familiar to that for me right wow, now. I'm trying to remember why I did I do this. I feel like my, a few people might be uh, YouTubing that YouTube later. YouTubing that, yeah. <laughs> I might say it's back in the day. I'm probably showing my age here. It's in the 90s. So it's, it's not anything more recent. Um, but yeah, good question in terms of the journey. So I, mean, I think you're completely right. I will be very upfront. There was no plan. Um, which is probably bad to say in the L&D position, but I'll get to how that's flowed and the structure of that and getting really clear on, you know, I love your message about being niche and being specific. And there's a lot of power to that, um, which has definitely played a massive part in my career. So I didn't go out to be in L&D or in HR. I've not actually met anyone who has yet. So I am a bit of a typical story of falling into it. So originally um, I was educated to be a software engineer. So I'm very much a techie by background. I actually want to be a game designer. So I went to go work for a, a Japanese game company called Sega. So if people play games, they know Sega, Sonic. So I actually went to go work for them um, for about a year and a half. And the idea was to be a games designer, but I absolutely hated games after a year and a half there of playing games, being involved in games. It drove me up the wall. So um, that was not the career trajectory. You, you, were, you saw how the sausage was made. It took it away. I from saw, that. yeah, me um, <laughs> me and Sonic in particular fell out of love quite quickly when you yeah. get behind, you know, the kind of scenes of how it's all work and then the production and that. So, um, yeah, that, that wasn't to be. But the reason why I bring that up is because um, very recently, as part of a kind of a Helen and network piece, someone did ask me the question about what did you want to do when you were younger? And I was consumed about being in the games industry. And I really thought about it in that moment as in, you know, nearly 20 years later now, like, well, actually there's a lot of synergy there because I wanted to build experiences for people and I wanted to build fun and engaging experiences. This is the way I'm looking at it now. I'm trying to justify my life. Yeah. <laughs> now, um, the book, I, now that the book of your life is in front of you. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that has some synergy now. So I started off there and look, I, I fell into HR um, and I kind of did a few HR operational roles in the beginning. So that was stuff from kind of back end. Um, this is when I was, you know, very young and idiotic, I must say, way worse hair than I have now. Um, <laughs> And then walking into recruitment for a bit. And then L&D, to be fair, really kind of came into my life, not of my own accord. It's someone else noticed who became um, a very influential mentor in my life. And I was working at a massive enterprise organization, probably about ooh, 12, 13 years ago now. Um, and I, I was in this recruitment team. I really should have been in the recruitment team because I was a terrible recruiter. Um, <laughs> but what I was good at was helping people understand processes, frameworks, and teaching people how to do this and building resources around that. And at this time, I didn't know you could make kind of any career off this. I was just enjoyed it. It was fun. Yeah. I liked to do it. Uh, and what happened there, someone spotted that and said, hey, you know, would you be interested in L&D? And I was kind of like, oh, my God, I don't want to do that because that means I'm going to have to build boring training and 
you know, being in a classroom and, and do all this stuff that people probably associate with N&D. But then the flip side of it, and this is the completely honest truth, is I was so fed up with doing terrible training. I was like, if I could do a role where I'm not the recipient of that anymore and I'm doing it for everyone else and able to change it, then, um, you know, in my youthful mister, I was like, oh, OK, that maybe I like that, that motivation. <laughs> yeah. So it was, it was very much of I don't want to be on the receiving end. Let me be on the other side. Yeah. <laughs> let me be the person doing that, um, which I laugh about now. But, I, you know, I think in that essence, it was very much about. I don't know, maybe something I can do there. So this person gave me a chance pretty much. They said, hey, you know, it, it seems like you've got some skills here. I, I never seeked it out. They kind of brought it to me. They talked to me about they had um, in that organization somehow a, a very high performing L&D team, which I was incredibly lucky to be a part of. Um, it was a really interesting time because that's where I learned my kind of bread and butter pretty much for a good five or six years. I had a great team around me um and they made me pretty much and you know i think it's uh, amazing in the the fact that really there was a number of things so i was the youngest on the team for one i was also the only male so i was mothered quite consistently <laughs> um by the rest of the team but actually i had incredible female role models and female leaders in that team and just mentors who were amazing for me in terms of teaching me the ropes and kind of bringing me into this world um, and they set the ramp up pretty much. They set the ramp up as this is ND, this is what you could do. And the kind of floodgates opened and it was able to connect with me as a techie geek because digital learning at this point about a decade ago was starting to become the rage and we yeah. were going to be saved by digital learning and all of this good stuff. Um, we're still waiting. Then, we're still, yeah, waiting. still waiting. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I'll say that. And then um, I feel like it's on the trends every year. Digital learning is coming. But anyway, so I, w- I was a digital learning manager back at this point. So this is probably about seven years ago now um and i was doing that for a global organization and it was a massive step up it was a, a global role so i was spending a lot of time in many different countries not even remembering what time zone it was so it was very exhilarating at that point but also very um knackering at different points but it was a great part of education in actually understanding different world cultures different learning cultures approaches to a, a myriad of things that i'm sure that we'll we'll get into and um Year after I did that, so kind of my more recent track history, I just finished up a couple of weeks ago as head of L&D after four years for a travel tech company here in the UK. Um, And that was interesting because I moved from a gigantic enterprise organization of 400,000 people to a company that was about to IPO with 400 people. So there was a drastic change in um, the setting there, but I, I was heading up all of their operations I grew with them for four years. So they'd gone from 400 to about 1400 by the time I'd kind of left and they'd IPO'd and we kind of built out this team and this um, strategy. So that was very unique. And we could, you know, definitely get into that because there was um, loads of great lessons learned. We will. Um, And then recently, to be fair, so I've just recently taken up a role uh, actually with a learning technology company to work as a learning strategist, which I appreciate as a very ambiguous job title, but it's basically me um, working with the organization to look at how can we help the industry overall kind of, you know, think different, do things better um, and just bring that there. And that's kind of a very core part of where I am in my life and what I want to do now after kind of over a decade in the industry. It kind of feels like a good time to step more into that role and kind of give back and give probably more impact than I can where I previously was. So, yeah, that's where where I am right now. I love that. When you, now that we've put, brought the book out, the Ross mm. book of book of life, mm. when you look back at this career that you've had so far, 
Yeah. How you've had some big jumps, right? So like big, like big moments and big movements. Yeah. How mm. did you know, or did you know that you mm. were ready for that next level? And what did you, what did you do to prepare whether you knew you were preparing or not? Yeah. Good question. So I think there's kind of two bits in there. There's two bits of just brazen confidence in really, and it's, it's cliche, but it's kind of like believing in yourself. Um, and just looking at the data you've already got to say, I can do this thing. But there's also some logic behind it. It doesn't matter what any role I was in as part of my career is that I was very clear on that I would need to spend X amount of time in this role in order to move on to something else. I might not have known what that something else 100 is at that moment, but I was very clear on, you know, I'd work at this company for two to three years and then I would scale that up to this organization and then go into that role. So I kind of had... Um, a very loose plan on what are the moves I would need to make to benefit me over the next decade. What wasn't so clear was on what was that role and how would I operate there? So there's obviously a bit of risk and a bit of confidence in that. And I think the L and D transition for me was interesting because I had never done L and D before I'd been working, you know, I was a tech individual. Um, I'd very much been working in operational HR. So, you know, I knew of it, it was in the kind of the wheelhouse, but I had no idea what it was about and, and what to do. And, a lot of that, to be honest, was researching the industry, really understanding what does that industry do, looking at my transferable skills. So at this point, I could only have been maybe 25 or 26. I wasn't exactly carrying a bag of skills with me, but there, there was enough for me to say, you know, do I have enough understanding of this industry? Is there a pool for me of interest in this industry? And what skills can I transfer to basically get a foot in the door? Because um, although someone approached me to come into the industry, it wasn't easy. I had to very much prove myself in how can I be part of this team? Why should I be part of this team? You know, and, and show those results quite quickly. So there was definitely identification um, of skills in there. And I I think ultimately, I never knew if it was the right time. I kind of just went with a gut instinct as in, do I feel I can do this? Am I comfortable and confident in myself that I will, I will learn what I need to do? And I think I've always had this attitude, whether rightly or wrongly of, you know, I, I'm a believer of if you have the will, you will find the skill. And I kind of just really, um, even when I'm kind of like going crazy <laughs> with, with my career, I'm always saying to myself that if you've really got the will to something, um, you will find that skill. And I think I've always just kind of carried that through in some blind confidence in that I'm in kind of no man's land here. I don't really know what I don't know, but I've got a foundational structure in myself of operating in different organizations and the ability to absorb and pick up stuff. I just felt confident on there. And that was a kind of first foray to LND. But then I think after that, it became clearer once I got into that first LND position, what the world of LND was and what did I really want to do? Um, you know, especially looking at your posts in terms of what do I want to niche into? Because the world is huge. And I think that was paramount for me earlier on was that I knew what I didn't want to do quite quickly. And yeah. it then opened up and made it really easy to say, what do I want to do? And then from that point to now, kind of a decade later, it has been easier for me to kind of lay out the map and say, right, okay, so these are the skills that I'm going to require. And these are the roles that I would be interested in. But this is also stuff I'm not interested in. And I think, like I said, it's really powerful in, it's like with goals, a lot of people always like, oh, these are the things I want to do. And I'm probably kind of the opposite of that. There's a Tim Ferriss methodology where he talks about defining your fears. So the things that you don't want to do. just talking about that this morning with, 
with my <laughs> coaching clients. It has it's great. been a yeah. theme three times already today. So and it works. Are listening to it, this is meant to be that you, you 100%. This yeah. And I think it works, right? Defining those fears is in, you know, if you don't want to do these particular things, then for me personally, it just works. It will work for everyone, but it's, it's a motivation for me. Just like, God, I really don't want to do that. So I'm going to find the things that I want to do. So yeah, in a very more um, long answer, I think it, it's a bit of everything, right? There's a bit of logic in there. There's a bit of strategy, but it's also a bit of just taking a chance on yourself, you know, just believing in it. And the, the worst that's going to happen, folks, is you might screw up. You're not going to die. Like yeah. stuff will happen. You'll move yeah. on. And we're not like, something. we're not, and other people aren't going to die. We're not heart surgeons. <laughs> exactly. A hundred percent. Yeah. We're just folks creating learning. That's it. Exactly. <laughs> you know, it's interesting too. One of the things that you said just really resonated with me because I, there's this back when we started, because it sounds like we started in the industry right around the same time. Mm. So many people, people who came before us fell into it, right? It was mm. accidental. We were kind of chosen. I had a very mm. similar story to you. Um, you know, it, it, it just kind of happened for us, but now, mm. especially in the last couple of years, it is a much more intentional career path and field mm. for people to choose. And what was interesting that I heard you say though, and I, I felt this way, but you, you put it into words mm. is a lot of times people say like, Oh, must be nice to have just like fallen into it, you know, or get <laughs> selected for it. Yeah. But the pressure, right. It's almost because it wasn't intentional there's mm. a lot more to figure out and a lot more, you know, you don't really, not that you don't have a choice because we haven't, you yeah. know, could have accepted yeah. or not accepted, but mm -mm. to your point, we don't know what we don't know. You don't, when you're, when you're falling into something accidentally, you don't, mm -hmm. you're not intentionally thinking about those bag of skills that I have and yeah. what is it I actually want to do. And so yeah. it's interesting to hear that because I felt that way too, where I kind of fell into it and it, mm. in some ways it was intentional, but a lot of mm. ways accidental. Mm. Uh, and that, feeling of having to prove yourself because you mm. haven't identified those skills or understand yeah. how to you know, articulate them or how they apply versus yeah. being intentional about it, having that confidence, mm. right? Being able to take that risk intentionally. So I, I really appreciated that perspective of it too. Mm. No, definitely. I mean, it, it's like I say, uh, and to your point there, it's, you know, we both probably left comfortable positions when we had the opportunity and, yeah. you know, th there's still risk in that to say, you know, it might not work out. And I, I still remember sitting there and at this point I was working at a company, you know, multi-million pound budgets, hundreds of thousands of people. So it could have gone horribly, horribly wrong. Um, but it's one of those things, like I say, I think in hindsight, it's a beautiful thing, right? Maybe it would have been different at that time if you came and spoken to me 10, uh, 10 years ago. But I think where I reflect on it now, it's like, you don't know until you do it. And I think even if a prime example is even being more experienced now, just because I might have been good in one place doesn't necessarily mean I'm going to be great at another place. And that's not always down to me as an individual. It's, you know, there's cultural bits, there's working with people. So there's no guarantee in anything. You just do the best that you can with what you've got. And you, um, you know, you take it from there. Yeah. And remember too, nothing's permanent, right? I yeah. mean, it's like, even when my clients are figuring out what their niche is, I'm like, you're not tattooing this on your forehead. Like, no, you no, can no, always, no. you can go back to it tomorrow, six months from now, it's exactly. one from now, yeah. you know, no it's, not a, it's, I would say it's living and breathing. And I think our careers are yeah. living and breathing too. And so thinking about 
hella transitions you've made and now mm. I'm sure a lot of people that you've helped you through your, your content. What do you think is the biggest mistake people make when they're gearing up or they're starting to feel that they're ready to make a change in their L&D career? What are most people missing or mistakes mm. they're making? Yeah, I think the mistake is really that they need to know everything and they need to know all areas of LND. And the reason why I say that, and that's why I resonate with your content as well, is that I think there's a misunderstanding because the world of LND is so big and you get these very generic role titles of LND partner or head of LND. Like you need to know every nook and cranny of learning design, learning science, or all of that. And it's just not true. And I, I actually seen that whole back quite a lot of people because they sit there and I mean, you probably have these conversations too. They'll look at job descriptions. There's 35 different things on there. And you're like, I mean, who's doing that job? Like someone from the future who's been able to yeah. go and do that. So <laughs> the planet think, of L&D. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, and I think, look, and like I say, with your post as well, I think that um, something that always resonates with me is that, you know, instructional design is not the only part of L&D. And I think I'm probably living proof of that because I've never done instructional design. I've, I've not touched it. I've, you know, I've been ahead of L&D for a big tech company. I've not gone near it. Um, but other people have, and it's been an entry for them. And there's nothing wrong with that, but not everyone goes through that same path. So my my main thing would be like, don't sit there thinking that even if people are engaging in my content, I'm talking about stuff, you don't need to do 100% of those things that are there. You might have a foundational piece of, you know about two or three things you do two really well and you can crack on and you, you know you'll do the rest we're all beginners somewhere like we didn't just wake up one day with this suite of skills so i mean that holds people back a lot and i think it is a mistake and i think unfortunately i've seen a lot of people wait too long because they're waiting for the right moment um which is unfortunate and whenever i do see that i kind of just say to people i can't use myself as an example and just say look i can tell you with someone decades down the line that you don't need to do that um so you know i would just think more how can i maneuver into those positions of what i've got now so i think that's kind of one mistake there um i've completely forgotten your other question because i've completely gone into that one no that like that was it i mean i think okay there we go yeah well i i i well you know i already agree with this but yeah. <laughs> you know, i think it's so important and even you talk about how much time that wastes right if you go down mm. these job descriptions or even uh, it's, I always like to think about them. Like, it's like, it's a wish list. And I think I've heard you talk about that before too. Like yeah. that's what job descriptions really are. Yeah. And sometimes we get things that weren't even on our wish list that we're really excited mm. about. I think mm. about the time where I hire, actually hired an instructional designer who didn't have an mm. instructional design background. That was the role I was yeah. hiring for. Um, but they had a really strong background in writing and mm. That was a secret. And, and I looked at instructional design resumes from instructional mm. designers, but this person who came from uh, more of a sales and technical writing background, that intrigued me when I thought about, hey, this is what I, this is what I actually mm. need. It wasn't even on my wish list as yeah. you know, writing that job description. And so I think to your point of talking about the skills that we already have, you and I are very much aligned in mm. that where L and D as a big giant field mm. were a field made up of transferable skills, and mm. there's a place for for everyone there. And it doesn't mean that you can't upskill in certain things, but it wastes so much time when you think you need to learn every single skill, or you have to follow mm. every you know, the person's path that you know happened yeah. to transition into instructional design. And you know, I was talking to my clients last night at someone who is probably listening to this now, um, uh, who has you know 15 pages of job saved. And mm. we were talking about that. And I said, you know, at some point you have to apply or get off the pot, 
right? Like you have, you know, <laughs> at some point you have to look at this and say like, this is the role for me or it's not the mm. role for me. Um, mm. And having that many pages, right? There, there's many of those probably aren't the role for you mm. too. So I, I love that advice around it, not, not getting caught up in knowing every single mm. thing. And what a great mm. example you are of someone who never dabbled in instructional design. You know, mm. I, same here. Uh, even when I went to school for, for organizational learning, that was just mm. maybe one or two courses that I took across, you know, 40 different, you know, areas that, mm. was, that was just small, a small piece of it too. So I really appreciate that perspective around, because that's where people get stuck. That really the biggest bottleneck I see to moving forward is just feeling they have to know everything. And what, mm. what job have you had, whether you've been a teacher, whether you've been a salesperson, like no, yeah. you never know everything, but people no. come to L&D and all of a sudden think to get in or to move up, they have to know everything. It's a very strange, <laughs> like wire that's loose it's true very very true yeah definitely everyone thinks you need to be the dalai lama of knowledge when you come yes. into D, but it's not yeah the, the guru on top of the mountain but really you just need to be mm. a couple steps ahead of people and, and i think that perspective shift helps a, a lot of people and you know really thinking about your journey and hearing you you know you moved you went from being part of a team uh as yeah. a learning manager um to then and a large company to mm. then moving and leading a global mm. L&D team and strategy. Mm. I know a lot of people listening are going to be really interested in that transition because a lot of mm. people are in that same role where they're kind of ready for their their big leadership break in L&D. Mm. What, what was the biggest adjustment for you when it came to moving into, into that leadership role mm. from being part of a team? I think the biggest adjustment was being involved more strategically. So I know people throw that word around quite a lot and people are like, what does that mean? So I'll kind of Coming break from down the strategist. Yeah, I'll probably break down what that means strategically. So that is more being involved in the kind of high level conversations in the organization, which I'll be quite honest, I don't really enjoy, which is sitting there for six, seven hours in direction of the business. You know, what's the budget like going against OKRs and stuff and that. And I think for me, that was a really big shift because previously I'd been what you might call kind of a high performing IC. So I wasn't really having to get involved in that. I had, you know, some small commitments to look after outside of the design process, but I was able to design and the head of was very much less design and very much more strategy, probably more so than what I wanted. And I did struggle with that in the first few months. Um, because I love, I love doing a design element and that's just kind of me personally. I think the other thing that changed was that you were then, you kind of moved from a me to we. And I mean, that's a very odd thing when if you've been doing a role on your own for so long and you've kind of responsible for delivering all this stuff to then have to work with other people, not only to hand out work and do it in the right way, but there's also a great weight of responsibility in looking after other human beings which I think is lost on people sometimes. And maybe it was lost on me a little bit when I first kind of um, did it in my early thirties. But I think there's a great weight of responsibility there as well, which is not always so clear when you go to these management courses and, and else like when you have responsibility for these individuals. So I think that the strategy bit most definitely, but that's just personally, I just didn't want to be sitting in C-suite meetings for, I mean, hours and hours and hours and doing offsites everywhere. Um, Cause actually I was really interested more about, doing the boots on the ground um, and making that work. 
So I think that and the moving from the me to we shift, I think those were the two biggest things where I thought, wow, okay, I really need to kind of change my operating system um, in what I do. How did you, how did you change that operating system? Like, what was that? What was that? I'm sure it wasn't overnight. Um, we'll no, it wasn't. About, we'll talk about small steps in a minute, but you know, what, yeah. did, what did that look like for you? So there was a couple of things. I think just kind of set some context is, so the organization I moved into, they never had an LND function before. So I was a bit unique in the fact that I kind of had a blank canvas to mess around with. So I could kind of make suggestions because they'd effectively, I'd come from a larger company to a smaller company and the fact that the smaller company wanted me to do what I'd done at a bigger organization. So I, I kind of had a bit more room and buy-in already before walking in. So I kind of call out that advantage because there's a bit of an unfair advantage to the kind of situation. So a couple of things that I did was I spoke to people in the industry that I knew who were chief learning officers, you know, who are 20 years ahead of me in the game um, and just sought advice, really just said, look, you know, I'm in the position now where these people already known me from the kind of circuit in you know the UK and Europe. And I was just really open and just said, look, I'm kind of struggling with this transition where I've gone from really big organization, individual contributor, and then I've now gone to a very focused scale up head of LD, all these people around me um and it, it feels very different and i was quite honest and said you know i feel a bit lost around that and it was just working with them to really understand their experiences um you might call it coaching in some way but it was kind of just like we're having coffee conversations and i would just pepper them with questions and you know they would just offer advice on there so uh, there was that for sure and then there was really me just taking time to reflect and look at the situation and look at how do I want to handle this as an individual? So what do I as an individual want to create as a head of this team um, while I'm building here? What is it I want people to know me for as an individual um, and what I can bring? So those two elements were really things that I specifically focused on for at least three to six months to kind of help me go with that. And kind of once that point was reached and you know, you kind of feel a bit more comfortable. You start to get it now and you can see the confidence there. Um, I just kind of slipped back into my normal mode and like, right, okay, I've kind of got this now. I've invested in it. Um, I say I got this. You never, you never really get it. You keep learning, you keep scaling up. But at that point, it was like, I didn't feel so much of a fish out of fresh water. I kind of felt like I was swimming now and doing very well um, on that. So yeah, those were incredibly powerful tools for me at that point. That's awesome. Yeah. It sounds like too, you took like a macro and a micro approach at the same time. 100%, so yeah. Looking at that, that bigger picture, talking and, you know, getting, having those coaching, those mentorship calls with people mm. uh, who can really expand you uh, and expand your thoughts. I was just yeah. talking to someone about that last week at a conference I was at where, you know, thinking about the idea of us as learning and development mm -hmm. folks, like moving into, moving into more of a mindset of being expanders for people and being the mm. teachers. And it sounds mm. like, and in a very big macro perspective, you were being expanded by different people's perspectives and ideas and, and advice, but then mm. being able to say, okay, for me and for what I'm doing and more yeah. of the, the micro specificity on day to day, here's what I can take from all of that. So 100%. I, yeah, I love that. 100%. I love that approach because a lot of people will go one or the other, right? They'll just go macro. Here's all these ideas. And then yeah. you know, get overwhelmed or micro, micro, but then mm. not really be able to put the big picture together. So I love that advice of for mm. those who are moving into this this big role for the first time or want to even move in, maybe they're mm. not there yet, but that's the next step, starting to have those conversations mm. with, with people who are in, in those types of roles and understand what it is that they're doing uh, to prepare yourself too. 
Yeah, 100%. I think one thing, the only thing I might have gone back and done differently is I probably would have spoken to heads of L&Ds at companies of that size already. So I think what I had done is spoken to heads and directors of L&D at enterprise organizations, which was huge. So the view was very different to walking into an organization that was four to 500 people. So yeah, if I was to do it all again, five or six years ago, that's probably the only tweak I would do is to go and speak to people sooner at that level to understand. Because although, you know, it is very busy at an enterprise level, but I can tell you in tech companies, even at that level of a scale up, it's just as intense, maybe even more. Um, so yeah, I think, you know, the, the age old thing. Leaner, exactly, budget. exactly, yeah. yeah. Setting yourself up for success. I think any way you can do that at any level of your career is always going to be a win because you create your own career advantage, yeah. Yeah, that's so wonderful. And kind of on that same level of skills, when, when you think about, you know, you talk a lot about the modern L&D workforce and becoming a mm. modern learning professional. Um, what skills do you feel that modern L&D professionals need to develop to stay competitive in the workforce? And then on the flip side of that, what skills do you think we can start to say goodbye to or maybe focus less on? Yeah, definitely. So um, this always varies, right? I think it always depends what time of the year you're asking me. But (laughs) there is... um, What's the L&D season? (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, there is uh, there is a bunch of core principles where I think, look, you can't go too far away from learning design in whatever way that suits you. Know, I don't prescribe myself to a specific methodology or methodology, sorry, I don't worship at a certain church of learning or anything like that. So it's kind of whatever works for you to build that. But I think, you know, learning design is the the bread and butter, really. I also think about, um, I don't know what other people call it, but what I call kind of performance consulting. So it's kind of moving more into that approach of um, how do you be less of, and there's always this thing about being an order taker, but how do you be more strategic in that? So how do you actually have the ability to, have conversations, construct these questions, and really start to work in what I see as a learning and performance individual is helping people to realize their goals, but help them to do it in the right way, but also to help them see where things aren't working too. So that's a very kind of broad bucket. But I think performance consulting is very powerful in the fact that it can make your job a hell of a lot easier and not pretend like you're a McDonald's drive through and giving everyone their happy meal every time they come up and ask yeah. you. Um, so there's those pieces there. And then uh, look, anyone who follows me will know I bang on a lot about marketing, about positioning your product. Um, I do that because if there's one thing that's accelerated my career and helped me well is because I spent time with marketing and social teams to really understand the mindset of not only, you know, you build great products in L&D, but how do you position them to an organization? How do you get buy-in from a user? How do you get buy-in from C-suite teams. Um, and I see that as a massive gap. I think, you know, I have conversations probably like yourself with loads of people every day. And it is the one thing that I see again and again and again. People aren't using systems, not using academies. They don't know we exist. And it all comes back to that kind of, well, how are you positioning yourself? What's your brand? What's your marketing piece? So it's not, you don't need to be a marketer. No one needs to be doing that in this profession, but understanding the basics of in this attention economy, how do you cut through that noise and how do you help drive that value? I think it's incredibly powerful to do that. So those are the kind of, I'd say the three mainstays, right? There's other stuff around that, you know, AI is very sexy right now and everyone's terrified it's going to replace them. But a lot of that is more around, you know, you're going to be better if you know how to use AI tools. And I think another 
Another thing on the marketing bit that's really helped me is, and this links into it, is being tech savvy. So when I say tech savvy, I don't mean you need to sit there and start writing Java code or doing Python or whatnot. It's just really about understanding how do different tools in your HR stack or L&D stack work together? And how can you as a professional make the most of those and use them to your advantage? Because, you know, there's just so much tech out there. But there's a lot of good stuff that's going to help automate parts of the role you don't want to do. There's going to be other stuff that's going to make you look amazing. And people who have no idea how to do that are going to think you're some kind of God when you start doing yeah. that because okay. you're using this stuff. Um, and it's not, I don't think that's a massive investment because of the world that we live in now in terms of, you know, we're very much in that digital space and keeping up to date with all of these different tools that are coming out. And again, it goes back to my early point. It's Bring that context in for you. So all these things that I say in terms of performance consulting, learning, design, AI, and marketing, it's about looking at what works for where you are and your yes. organization. Because not everything I do. Yes. Exactly, yeah. Not everything I say, you know, is going to be that. And I think there's a great quote I always loved where, and I actually say this to people who slide into my DMs now and ask me questions like this. I always say to them, you know, um, don't follow the path that I've done. Just seek what I sought out go and seek the same questions and the same answers that I did and you'll form your own path. But I'd never say to you, follow my path because my path might not be right for you. It was right for me because it's the way it's worked out. But I think if you focus on those core skills, you're in a pretty good place and you can level those up and down. So I'm not saying you hear this and you're like, oh my God, I need to do these four things. It's not, it's having awareness of it's it. Not a, it's not a prescription. hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah. It's not a checklist folks. So you don't have to go out and kind of tick all those boxes. It's just, if you want to be in that ranks of, you know, building out your career, um, I don't think you can go wrong with those. And they are what I call skills that you can consistently build up. So you can continue to build up that architecture of your career and say, right, I'm now going to go to the next level. And in order to do that, I need to do X, Y, and Z, but it usually falls in those buckets of learning design, of technology, of performance consulting, and um, you can do really well there. In terms of to stop doing and what's not really helpful nowadays, I think, look, this is always points of contention, and I think it really depends where you sit in the L&D sphere. I'm like, ready for this. <laughs> I know, there's gonna be, there might be some like mic drops here and hate mail coming to my DMs tomorrow, but... <laughs> I think, yeah, like I say, it, it it does very much depend. And I'm also very um, cognizant here of, I think, where I sit in the UK and Europe and the US market of L&D, uh, there's some differences. So yeah. some of what I may say may not translate to that market in terms of how organizations work there. But I, off the top of my head, look, I think, so we talk about facilitation and I'll, I'll describe what I mean here. I think when we talk about old school facilitation, as in reading from a predefined script with an off the shelf solution, I, I think we're looking at the final days of that at okay. the moment. I think facilitation is not gone, but I think it's being replaced by how do I become a better storyteller? And I think storytelling has been a big thing in the last few years. So we're moving from you know, any of us can read from a script. We can go and chat GPT now and just say, write me a feedback workshop. It might not be very good, but we'll sit there and we can read from it. Whereas actually, I think in the space nowadays and why LED seems probably a bit more vital in organizations is they want people to actually come in and create something and tell that story and to bring it to life and to have that. So it is, you might still call it as facilitation, but I look at it as kind of less facilitation and more being creative, more being a storyteller, and how am I able to bring people together and do that? So facilitation would be one. And I think another one would be, and it really depends, 
maybe not getting rid of, but I think what does hold people back into our earlier part of the conversation is this whole case of needing to use certain methodologies or needing to use certain approaches. The reason why I say this is because I have had many people in my teams who get too hung up on one way of doing things. You know, it might be 5DI, it might be this, it might be I have to do a TNA and it has to be in this way. And I think you can really get yourself caught out there because you're you're not having a diversity of thoughts and a diversity of approaches. And of course, something works, you know, do do that. But don't do it at the behest of it not working in the organization. So if you've been schooled in, I don't know if it's still around, but 702010 was the rage, you know, five or six years ago. And if you're still trying to apply that in a modern context to an organization that's just not going to get with it, you've got to adapt. And I think adaption is the key there. And even with, you know, stuff that, you know, you might have been taught in education establishments or you've gone on courses for, the world always moves so fast. It's very difficult to always make those methodologies apply. So I think less of getting rid of it, but I think it's more about changing that mindset of just being locked into one thing and doing it everywhere. And, you know, please don't be that person who says I'm 30 years, I, you know, five DI hardcore person. And that's what I do, because I think you'll find it really difficult in today's world with that, because LND adapts so fast now, and it has to, is that you, you have to adapt to the context and the culture that you're in. So yeah, I think less of the, you know, I must do it this way. And because so-and-so, even if it's me, right, because so-and-so says do this or because I say performance consulting doesn't mean it's the way for you. You have to adapt what's in your kind of culture and your context. So I think that could definitely be taken away and it can be more like, you know, call upon a variety of approaches, a variety of systems and a variety of thinking. So those are the, the two main ones I can think of. Yeah. Yeah. I love, I, I think too, what, what I got from that also is that especially that last one of like, take what you need and leave the rest. Right. So you know, there's a model out there. Again, models are just models, right? They're, we're not, we're not saving lives. We're not, you know, sending rocket ships. Yeah. To space. So yeah. if there's a P even if there's a piece of a model that you like, but the rest of the model doesn't serve you, then use that, mm. right? Mm. Being, a, being able to plug and play too. Yeah. I, I love doing that when I look at like, oh, this model has this and I like that piece. And I like that piece and create, create your own model because that might, is my, what might work for your organization and for the work. Exactly. Yeah, not, find everyone has way. time to follow, you know, the ad whole addy process and that process may not work yeah. for your organization and for your team too. So I see a yeah. lot of people get hung up and yeah, they, they pray, pray to the church of Addy or, you know, <laughs> yeah. to, to different models or different ways of doing things. And the reality is in business, mm. there's never just one way of doing things in sales. There's never just one way to sell or in marketing, never just one way to market. Yeah. Same thing with learning. There's never just one way to create learning. So I, 100%, I, really yeah. I think it's, sure. it's a typical scenario of, you know, I think when you're in a environment where it's controlled and you could talk about theories and you can really converse that that's easy to do in an educational environment. I think when you're actually in the business context, many people experience a difference. It's not as easy to apply those theoretical models that people talk about when you're actually dealing with a situation in front of you. So yeah, it's just being free to adapt. And as you said, I think there's a great Bruce Lee quote that I always have in my head, which is about, um, you know, absorb what is useful, discard what is not, and add what is uniquely your own. And that is something I've kind of kept to in 
whatever I do. And it's not unique to the ND industry, right? The, you know, you can talk about life, this in the software engineering world. That's life advice right there. Yeah. Ross is <laughs> dropping some life life moments. Probably <laughs> everywhere. But um, it's the same if we're like software engineering, project management. These are the same conversations that are happening between this methodology and that methodology. So we're, we're not unique in that, but I would just say, you know, keep an open mind to your approach. Yeah, I love that. So I want you to talk to us a little bit, switching gears, talk to us about steal these thoughts. So how, how did you come up with that? What, what, what inspired you to start Mm. that? Um, What is it and how can more people get on board and steal your thoughts? Yeah, these are all very good questions. I don't actually ever have the answers to them Um, because it kind of, it kind of just happened to be honest. So I've always been a writer. I've always been writing either under a pseudonym or something else. And I, I used to do a lot for um publications just because I, I was interested and it was something I felt I was good at but still these thoughts came around a couple of things one I was bored one night and I thought I'd really love to understand how do I build a brand how do I build a website and this is like maybe six years ago now so this is before at that point everyone was saying websites are dead newsletters are dead it's all about social media you need to be on Instagram doing x y and z and you know screaming at people or whatever and I was, it's just actually just not me personally. And I was like, I really like the written word. Um, I really like to express myself in that way. And it was at a point in my life where I kind of been doing the digital learning thing for a few years. Um, I've, we were doing something really cool at the business I was at. And I was getting a lot of questions from people in the industry. And I just didn't have the time to answer them. Like, you know, we all, I didn't have the time to really go through every single DM. Um, I kind of felt guilt tripped by that. So I was like, well, there's probably a way that's easier for me to collate this stuff and then share it. So Part of the reason, there's three reasons why it's called Steal These Thoughts. So number one is um, I'm a a fan of a band called System of a Down, and they have an album called Steal This Album. And it was just, it just always stayed with me since I was young. And it's just a very simple font saying Steal This Album. I was like, oh, there's something there. Um, And then at at this point as well, when I was doing all of the stuff for digital learning, I was like, these are just me kind of collating my thoughts. Wouldn't it be easy to do that? I think. The third element of that is I was also doing some mental health training at that time. And I was thinking about how troublesome our thoughts could be. And then that was kind of, I was just thinking about, oh, so better if someone could just take these thoughts or steal these thoughts. So it just kind of all came together in that okay. section of when I just write this thing called steal these thoughts, it was never supposed to be predominantly LND focused. It was more just an outlet, but it became more LND focused because evidently that's what I do in my day to day life. <laughs> Welcome. Um, exactly. Yeah. And it kind of just felt like, well, I know a lot about that. And I think as L&D people, you're in a unique position where you get behind the curtains a lot with a lot of different teams, a lot of different, um, sometimes highly influential people, people in the C-suite, people at all different levels. And not a lot of people get access to that. And I found that out quite quickly in my career. And I was picking up all this great stuff from like CEOs and CFOs at huge companies. And I was like, we, I should be sharing this with people because I, I felt like I was kind of hiding all this stuff and yeah, like, you know, I, I want to share it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So I was like, we well, you know what, I'll just write about it and I'll just share it out there and <clears throat> be like, you know, these are the things that I've seen and how this works. And um, there's never been a plan for it. So there was never a plan. The whole idea was just test it out, see how these things work. How do you build a newsletter? How do you build a website? I was just curious. And somehow we sit here all these years later and have thousands of people following it, which is still weird when I press send. I press send, I'm like, hmm. <laughs> I maybe know. i should triple check that or <laughs> the 300th time checking that because it's not until i don't really look at numbers i'm not a numbers person i wanting to understand that purely because it scares me when i see the number of people coming through um but yeah it, it just kind of happened and i think it's one of those things now i do it because i enjoy it there's no you know I don't, I don't make any money from it i'm not doing anything with it i just do it because i enjoy it 
Um, and there's no grand plan of it. And the, the whole point of it is kind of saying at the beginning is I just wanted to kind of pass it forward because I was given a really great opportunity as a, a young man. And I'm really grateful for it from the people who gave that to me. And I've been exposed to a lot of different situations. I've got loads of great content and advice coming through. And I just wanted there to be a space where that 20 year old kid somewhere could pick something up and they were like, hey, this guy, you know, he's given me like the kind of keys here. And it was all about how can I give tools, templates and frameworks to people? And then they make their own path. And I, I think I've tried to do that as much as possible. People who contact me, um, who are very lovely, always kind of say, you know, the one thing they like and I've kind of tried, tried to hold true to is I'm not telling people what to do. It's kind of just like, these are things that I've done. If it's of interest and you want to take that, then steal it. You know, it's a free country. You can do whatever you want. Um, and that's how I've just done it. And it just kind of spiraled into there. So a lot of it, to kind of summarize it, is it's really just the project that I enjoy doing. And I do it because I'm teaching myself. I'm learning how to do stuff. So throughout all of these years, I'm trying to practice what I preach as an L&D person in how do I understand how to keep up with the world today? Because I ain't getting any younger like I'm, I'm hitting the what four years away from forty, so I'm not I'm not getting any younger on that bit. So I need I'm to not far behind you. Well. <laughs> exactly. So it's like I need to keep up with that, and it's one of the ways for me to keep at the top of my own craft, connect with L and D people, um, yeah, and just just kind of give back and write. And like I said, I think I don't know if people will know any of these people that I talk about, but there's uh, websites like Wait But Why that I've been following for like 10, 12 years, which is um a very similar individual who talks about you know very big ideas about probably too deep ideas to be fair i mean that it's like twenty thousand words long kind of stuff but different ideas about life and, and just sharing content and when i look at kind of like um scholars and university professors they've always got these kind of blogs where they're just sharing about their profession and i've always been the kind of guy where it's like i just i'm really interested by other people and i just want to share stuff and see what they're doing and what they're saying and um you know what are the different points of view and it's just a way for me to do that so yeah like i said i think people are always expect and i had some grand plan and when i explain it to people they're like oh so that's it I'm like yeah that's, that's it pretty much i just enjoy doing it and um people seem to enjoy it so i will probably keep doing it even if no one read it yeah you know it's absolutely incredible and and you know one of the things too hearing you speak through this and then also kind of circling back to the mm. you know, beginning of our episode is it sounds like a, a theme for you you know in your career and your life has been that curiosity piece you know just yeah. curious about you know what else is out there and and mm. knowing there's more and you know not not being afraid to be a beginner and mm. in and looking at it from the outside looking in it seems to be that's a theme uh that's worked really well for you and it's really exciting to 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 hear you share it and, mm. and have other people know that you know that's a that's a great skill to have to leverage mm. and we don't think about that in L&D as much but you know it it's beneficial in life but also in the work that we do too yeah 100% I couldn't agree really more on that I think look, look curiosity is like the way I look at it is you only get one life so and this is it's a bit more deeply philosophical now but um it, it's stuff like that where I think as someone in LND, and that's probably why I kind of went into LND, is that I have just been curious. Like you're saying, I think that curiosity just continued to span. And the reason why I stay in this industry is the same reason, because I'm just really curious about where it's advancing, um, what is available there. And I think, look, it's hard not to get behind something in LND where it's about improving yourself, however, which way you look at that. Some people are 
the best way I can describe it is you get like productivity people, you get self-improvement people, probably get a bit too crazy sometimes, but you get other people who are just like, you know, how do I improve my skills to make a better life for myself, a better life for my family, to earn money? And I think that's just a, a beautiful thing for me, really, to be able to contribute to that in what any way your curiosity is driven. So, um, yeah. I love that. Yeah, I think it's a great a great lesson for people to leave with. So, uh, I know people are going to want to subscribe to steal these thoughts, to follow you, to learn more about you, to stop mm. you, to do all the things. Yeah. So where can people find you? Connect with you? Learn more about you? Sure. Where should we send all of your new fans to? And probably um, current fans, if we're on, being honest here. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, if anyone does literally want to steal my thoughts, so um, I never thought about that when I actually made the brand name. I should say that I'd never thought that would be coming back on me but here we are. <laughs> so the, the handle is stillthesethoughts.com. So you can go there. You can find um, libraries of free content, videos, podcasts, um, and, and steal it. That's the whole point. It's there for you to take and do whatever you want to run with. Uh, the only social media I really use, to be honest, is LinkedIn. So, you know, please do stalk me on there. Join me on there. Um, and as Sarah knows, I, I frequently drop content i also cause mischief on there sometimes as well so you're more than welcome to join in on that should you wish to all good mischief <laughs> for mischief for the the sake of the sake of good uh not evil, which i love but ross thank you so much for hopping on today i know that i gained so much it was so awesome to hear about your career path you know we talk a lot on this podcast around getting into lnd and moving up but to actually hear from someone who's gone through that process from a lens of curiosity a lens of self-development um, mentorship it's been so wonderful to hear that journey and i know it's going to impact so many people so thank you so much for hopping on today awesome thank you for having me have a good one thank you so much for listening to the lnd career club podcast if today's episode sparked anything inside you i would love to hear about it Feel free to share your ahas and takeaways by sending me a message on LinkedIn or Instagram or by leaving a podcast review. And if you want more support on your L&D career journey, I invite you to join us inside the L&D Career Club membership, where we are redefining what it looks like to grow in your L&D career. Visit theovernighttrainer.com slash programs for more information and to activate your membership. See y'all back here next week.